Good morning. Dave Drevo is my name. Uh, my wife is Angie. She's 40. We've been married almost 49 years. And uh, it's great to be able to uh, substitute, not replace, substitute for Pastor Tom this morning, who is up in Norfolk, returning the favor for Chris Weininger, who came to our church a few weeks back. Um, you know, when Tom asked me to uh, fill the pulpit, I was a little surprised, quite honestly. And so the first thing I thought of was, how can I lose 50 pounds in 30 days? Uh, but obviously that didn't happen, so I just want to tell everybody who's watching this on your computer, objects on your screen are larger than they appear. <laughs> Seriously, I, I, I'm sure you're wondering, how does Tom even pick somebody to take his place? Well, he has a list of very qualified Bible teachers to choose from, uh, but none of them were available today, so... So uh, he picked me, and I'm blessed to have the opportunity to talk to you. And I, I thought, you know, if I had one thing that I could uh, share with you, um, and that was a... Troy is making me cry. His goodness is rutted after you and me. The gospel, it has to be the main message that I talk about. So that's what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to give you a little bit of my background. I grew up on a farm uh, southwest of Lincoln. I uh, went to a mainline church pretty regularly, actually. Um, but what I remember most about Sunday mornings was uh, sitting in the car with my dad honking the horn, um, thinking that that surely will make my mom put her makeup on a lot faster if we just honk the horn every once in a while. So I don't remember a whole lot other than uh, in third grade, I memorized some uh, the Lord's Prayer, the 23rd Psalm, and uh, one other thing, which I don't remember what I memorized, and I earned a Bible, and I've had that Bible for many, many years. don't have it anymore, but uh, that was the only Bible I ever had, was my third grade Bible. Um, so I'm going to ask you, and I don't have an answer, what would be harder in terms of your background in, in, in getting you to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, what would be harder? Growing up not going to church or growing up going to a church that doesn't preach the gospel? It's a tough call, isn't it? I grew up in a church that didn't preach the gospel. And uh, I was always a little surprised that the minister, I can't call him a pastor, I'll call him a minister, um, always had something in his sermon about that Sunday morning's comics. And I thought, well, when did you write this sermon? Uh, obviously, uh, he found that the comics were more important than the gospel. By the way, my wife picked out my outfit this morning. A white shirt so that you couldn't see me sweat, and uh, black pants so you can't see my knees knocking. Thank you, honey, for the outfit. It's working. Um, so I grew up in this uh, mainline church. I've never heard, I never heard the gospel message preached, and I went regularly. Um, I had a great deal of success in uh, high school and athletics. We had an undefeated football team, a state championship basketball team, and I was offered a full-ride scholarship to the University of Nebraska. 
and played basketball there. I had an offer for a football scholarship from Wichita State, and I thought about it, and I thought, you know, really my passion is basketball, so I went to the University of Nebraska. As an aside, the entire Wichita State football team was killed in an airplane accident the following year. Um, so I thank the Lord that uh, I didn't go that direction, but uh, I'm not sure that I thank him that much for taking me to the University of Nebraska on a basketball scholarship either. Um, 30 years after I was on a full ride for three years and then I quit, 30 years after I was on a full ride, my son Andrew was given a full ride scholarship to play at Nebraska, uh, having transferred from a smaller school. And I said to him uh, right before his first game, I said, son, the moment your foot touches the court, you will break my record for time played uh, on the Husker basketball team. And he did. Well, while I was a student at the university and living in this giant impersonal dormitory, um, I got a, a knock on the door one day, one evening, and I was sitting studying at my desk, and uh, there was a couple of guys at the door, and they said, wondered if we could just come in and talk to you about uh, the Lord. I said, sure, come on in. So they sat down, and I was sitting at my desk, and they said, do you happen to have a Bible? Third grade. And I said, sure, I got a Bible up here. And I pulled it off the shelf and <laughs> blew the dust off of it. And they said, let's open your Bible to uh, the book of Romans. And we just want to talk to you a little bit about what the Bible says about Jesus. And so they ran me through uh, a series of verses in Romans that I think any of us may have heard and some of us may have used in sharing the gospel message with another person. And I think it's very helpful. It's very helpful. And so the first one that they sent me to was Romans 3.10, and it says, as it is written, none is righteous, not one. Um, meaning we're all sinners. We all are sinners. And to follow that up, uh, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, backing up that notion that we're all sinners. Um, I, anybody doesn't believe that? I, I almost didn't, but I kind of believed it. Well, you know, in my church, uh, I look around and I go, well, I'm surely I'm going to heaven. I'm as, at least as good as half of these people. Uh, but anyway, I, I had to acknowledge that I was a sinner. Then they pointed to Romans 6.23, and that talks about what, what is the result of my sin. And that says the wages of sin is death. And uh, they pointed out to me that that isn't just death, we all die, but that death is an eternal death, a spiritual death, apart, eternity apart from God. And I thought, well, that's not, I don't, not where I'm going. But then they finished that verse with, and the, but the free gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I was thankful that, that I got to take care, you know, take part in that, that part of it. I didn't want to listen to the first part. And they said in Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. These are, these are fundamentals, right? These are things you've heard a thousand times probably. 
And, and I think your response to what I'm saying this morning could be one of two responses. I've heard that. I've heard that a hundred times. But I hope your response instead is, I really needed to hear that again. And then they finally uh, got to Romans 10.9. Because, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. I've never seen that verse before. Right then and there would have been a great time for them to lead me in this prayer. Have mercy on me, O God. Oh, we're going to cue the choir of angels and the uh, heavenly orchestra while we're praying this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. It sounds like a psalm, doesn't it? It is. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. I repent of my sin, and I believe that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for all of my sins, past, present, and future. And I want him to be Lord of my life from this day forward. Great prayer. That's not what happened. They asked me, would you like to pray to accept Jesus as your Savior? And I said, hey, fellas, I've been a Christian for a long time, and I know it's not that easy. You know, when you're confronted with the gospel, there are three possible responses, generally speaking. The first one is rejection. That's what I just did. The second one is remorse. I, I understand what you're saying. Uh, it makes me feel bad. Sounds like Judas after uh, betraying the Lord, doesn't it? He was filled with remorse. But he wasn't filled with the third possible response, which is repentance. Rejection, remorse, repentance. I, I was convinced in my mind, and now I know who convinced me of it, I was convinced that these guys were just hucksters. And I rejected that message. And that's the end of my story. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh. But I had to ask myself after they left, okay, they quoted from the Bible. That's kind of unusual. If you're going to be a huckster, you'd probably make some stuff up, wouldn't you? And no, they actually quoted from the Bible. And so I had to ask myself, am I going to be an honest skeptic? I was real skeptical about it. Am I going to be an honest skeptic or a dishonest skeptic? You know what a dishonest skeptic is, don't you? Ah, that's a bunch of hooey. I'm not going to listen to you. Well, why don't you see for yourself what the Bible says? Nah, I don't have time for that. They're not willing I, I decided to try and be an honest skeptic. All right, let's look into the Bible more. Now, remember, I'm not a believer in Christ, and so I'm looking into the Bible from an unbeliever's eyes. And so as I looked into the Bible, I found a number of places where it talked about the, the blessings of being a believer, and I want to kind of go through those things. 
The first one that uh, the Bible promises to the believer is life itself. Matthew 16, 24, and 25 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That sounded pretty radical. But that sounded like the counterintuitive way to find life is to lose your life, to find your life. Not sure I understood that at all, but it stuck with me. John 10.10, again, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Wow, that sounds familiar. I'm starting to sense a theme there. For the believer has life. Well, I didn't have that. I'm just reading the Bible. I don't have it. I'm seeing it. I'm not yet really believing it. I was too busy pursuing life to want to give up life. I had a scholarship play basketball. I had a good-looking girlfriend back home. I had a lot of things going for me. Why would I want to give up any of that and take a chance that for some reason their message was true? I, uh, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. I was an honest skeptic, but I was still a skeptic. The next thing I found in the, in the Bible was that a believer finds acceptance. A believer finds acceptance. That sounded kind of attractive to me. All that the Father gives me, this is John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And John 10, 27 says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I'm, I'm known, it says. I grew up in a performance-based world. Do what I tell you, and you're a good kid. Don't do what I tell you, and you're a bum. Anybody have a background like that? I knew I was a bum if I didn't follow my father's uh, orders. How did I know I was a bum? That doesn't sound very loving, does it? Well, he didn't really say I'm a bum. He just said, uh, you need to be home by 12.30 on Saturday night. Because nobody wants a bum hanging around their house after 12.30. I was home by 12.30, and if I wasn't, I walked up the stairs to the cadence of my dad's snoring so he wouldn't hear me coming in at 12.35. But in God, in Christ, there is acceptance. My sheep hear my voice. I just, I love that. But I didn't know it, and I didn't believe it yet. The third thing that I found in the Scriptures was that there is a reward. That's starting to sound kind of interesting. There is a reward. Mark 10, 29 and 31 says, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. 
We've been studying that in our men's Bible study on Tuesday mornings at 6.30 a.m. here in the, in the uh, living room. Many who were first will be last, and the last first. Remember the story of the vineyard owner who went out and hired people for a day's labor, uh, same wage, half a day, an hour. They all got paid the same. And the ones who worked a whole day for the same amount of money were indignant. Well, didn't you get what I promised to give you when, you when I hired you on? Well, yeah. Don't I get to take somebody who confesses Christ on their deathbed as opposed to someone who also I accept who accepted Christ as a five-year-old? Sometimes the last will be first. So there is a reward. Matthew 19, 29 says, And everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or fathers for my name's sake, will, shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit eternal life. Wow, he's being quoted by several different uh, writers of Gospels, and that's an accurate quote from both of them. But I wasn't willing to sacrifice. So God had to pry some of my precious things right out of my hand. I've already told you, what my record was for varsity time played at the University of Nebraska. I played uh, freshman ball back because you couldn't play varsity as a freshman. I played a lot then, but that was it. After that, no more. Um, that's pretty depressing if that's been your life. That's your passion. And uh, the coach, uh, uh, in my third year, the coach said, <laughs> tell you what, I'm going to give you your scholarship through the rest of the year if you just quit. It's like, yeah, I think so, I'll do that. And so that's what I did. Um, I, I had an incident where uh, my girlfriend was in uh, nursing school up in Omaha back then. You, you had to go to Omaha to go to nursing school. And uh, I called her and said, are you coming to the Husker game? And she said, oh man, I've just got so much studying to do, I just can't get away. So I said, well, that's too bad. We'll see you next week. And so then later in the day, I was heading over to the ball game, and well, we players got through a special gate, you get in free and all that, and one of my fraternity brothers was at one of the gates, and he says, hey Dave, how you doing? I'm, oh, hi. I went up there and talked to him for a little bit, because the game had just started, and there was really not too many people coming in, and Ralph said, uh, wow, you know, I saw your girlfriend and a guy coming in the gate this afternoon. You What? Yeah, she was uh, with a guy. They came to the game. and So anyway, uh, all these precious things that I was clinging to, wasn't willing to give up. God said, well, then I'll just take them away from you. Now what do you got? Here's the lesson that I didn't know at that time. Following Jesus requires a sacrifice. There are times when the immediate benefit of going our own way may appear to outweigh the potential gain, gains of obedience. Jesus wants us to know that our sacrifices aren't in vain and there's nothing we can surrender that exceeds what we will attain by following Him. He's starting to get my attention. And that leads to the fourth thing that believers enjoy and that's revelation. I'm starting to see revelation, that's for sure. John 14, 21 says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. 
And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. That's a promise that I was interested in. Because up to that point, God was just a Sunday thing for me. And if something more exciting came along, it wasn't even then. I would would skip church or do whatever I wanted to do. Later in life, I, I decided, you know, I hear all these people. I was, I was kind of on the edge of the charismatic movement and this and that later in life. But uh, I hear these people saying, oh, I love you, Lord. I love the Lord. I love the Lord. And that's like, do I love the Lord? How do I know if I love the Lord? I don't want to be dishonest and say, yeah, I love the Lord too. I don't know if I really love him. So I did a Bible study on that. And it's pretty clear from the scriptures that if you obey the Lord, you love the Lord. If you obey him, you love him. It's throughout the scriptures. And that's a revelation that I learned, not then, but later in my Christian walk. He says in Luke 24, 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Suddenly, I got to look in the Old Testament too. Hey, okay. Well, I'm right now. I'm kind of focusing on the New Testament. I haven't got that mastered yet. So, uh, when you get down to it, there's an element of God's truth that you can only understand when you're on the inside. As an unbeliever, you look at the pages and the words on the pages, but the Holy Spirit isn't necessarily bringing them to life for the unbeliever. Um, and that's where I was. I was learning, I was getting knowledge, but I wasn't looking at it with believers' eyes. But God can use that too. The fifth thing that believers enjoy, so far I haven't had any of the first four. I wasn't a believer. Friendship with God. Ooh, that sounds interesting. John 15, 14 and 15 says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Remember, obedience equals love. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I call you friends for all that I have heard from my father I've made known to you. I kind of like to be God's friend. That's exciting. And Psalm 63, 1 through 4. And I'm going to intersp. I'm going to put in my own comment as I read through Psalms 63, 1 through 4. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. No, I don't. My soul thirsts for you. No, it doesn't. My flesh faints for you. No. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. I didn't see it. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Yeah, mine didn't. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. That's the friendship with God. This, this, this unity, this oneness, this closeness that a believer can enjoy. And the Holy Spirit speaks to the believer out of the words on those pages. It's, it's alive. It wasn't alive for me at that point. Am I encouraging anybody yet? 
The sixth thing that the believer enjoys is joy. John 15, 9 through 11, as, my, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Luke 15, 7 says, I tell you that even so there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. There's joy in heaven over one person who repents. I was crying as we were singing. And I'll cry to tell you, I was crying. He's running after you. I wasn't pursuing God. He was running after me. I didn't know it. He was running after me. A.W. Tozer says, what I'm anxious to see in Christian believers is a beautiful paradox. I want to see in them the joy of finding God while at the same time they are blessedly pursuing God. I want to see in them the great joy of having God yet always wanting Him. Kind of sounds like young married couple, doesn't it? We're married. We want more of each other. We want to get to know each other greater and greater. Isn't that funny how God, Jesus talks about Him and the bride? Because that's what heaven is all about. Us wanting more of each other. I want more of Jesus. I'm willing to give Him more of myself. But when I was reading all this, I wasn't there. Ah, finally, number seven. The things that believers enjoy. Trials. Had plenty of those. I can relate to that. Everything I thought was precious is now gone. I was so deep in a hole that all around me was just a wall of dirt. And I found that the only thing I could see was straight up. Getting the picture yet, Dave? Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 1 Peter 4.12-16 Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were about to happen. I don't even have that. The rest of that passage. Don't be surprised at the trials, the fiery trials. And we know that we enjoy a lot of freedom in this country. But I think there's going to be a time for even us when we're going to see as many around the world do Persecution isn't just somebody snickering and, and criticizing you, though that is persecution. You're going to have to submit your neck to an executioner, as some do around the world today. I don't know that I was ready for that trial. 
at the time. I don't know if we're ready. For us, persecution is going to look, first of all, like, you know, you're going to have to start paying real estate taxes on all these properties that you churches own. These freebies, uh, we're going to do, do away with them. And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to have trials. Who are we going to rely on when we're in the midst of trials? The God who sustains us will get us through each of those trials, whatever they be for you or for me or us as a body. Why didn't I get any of these things? Why didn't I understand? Why didn't I accept Christ as my Savior? Because my eyes were closed. I was caught in sin. Didn't even know it. Trusting in myself. I was in exile from heaven. I was exiled for eternity from heaven as a result of sin. And I want to tell you something. Everybody starts life that way. If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you're saved from that eternal exile. I didn't understand that at the time. Exile for sin is a theme throughout the Bible. Where do we see it first? Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, in the perfect garden. You know, we've got a whole book that some people say, well, it's just a book full of rules. Well, Adam and Eve had one rule. So we humans are not exempt from being rebellious. Adam and Eve had one rule. All you got to do is get up in the morning, remember the one rule, plant some trees, weed some stuff, and eat some food, and then go to sleep, and next morning, remember one rule. And one day, they came upon a temptation they couldn't resist, and they broke the one rule they weren't supposed to break. And God, in His wrath exiled them from the garden. And he placed an angel right there at the door with a giant sword that said, you ain't coming back in. There was another exile in the Scriptures. And that exile was um, the, the Israelites and the people of Jerusalem were exiled. Again, because of their sin. We've, uh, we did a little study on Jeremiah and Lamentations last week. Jeremiah came to preach God's message of repentance. If you will repent, I will shower my blessings upon you, says the Lord. But if you do not repent, an, an army from the north is going to come and destroy this city, destroy this temple, take you into exile. And what happened? They ridiculed him. Nobody's going to destroy Jerusalem. Look at the city walls. They're never going to be able to destroy Jerusalem. And besides, we kind of enjoy our sin. And Jeremiah was told time and time again, say this to the people. Say this to the people. He had, he had given them warning after warning. Now, warning, a warning is grace. A warning is, if you just turn back to the Lord, He's going to be gracious to you and love you and accept you once again. 
But we know that that never happened. And the people of Jerusalem were sieged by the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, and his forces. Many were taken into exile. The city was destroyed. The walls were knocked down. And the temple was looted and burned to the ground because of sin. They had to experience the exile from the presence of the Lord. Those are two examples of exile because of sin. But I want to focus on the third. I'm standing in a courtroom. I'm not the lawyer. I'm the defendant. And the judge looks at me and he says, I am about to pronounce judgment upon you. You are guilty of sin. And I sentence you to exile forever from heaven. I guess I'm supposed to get a drink. That's a pretty, pretty heavy sentence. And suddenly, the judge comes down from the bench and he takes off his robe. And he goes to the executioner and he holds out his hands. Put the handcuffs on me. I'll pay the penalty. And they take the judge. They take him outside the city. And they hang him on a cross. Not for his sin, but for mine and yours. I didn't pursue God. He pursued me. I accepted Christ as my Savior about two years after that first presentation of the Gospel. And it was a last resort for me. I don't know what I would have done. Have you accepted Christ? Have you acknowledged that He paid the penalty for you in full? A penalty that he certainly didn't deserve, but that I fully did. It's not enough to believe that it happened. We need to accept it, believe that it happened for me, and place our trust in him. That is the exile above all exiles. Still as a result of sin, mine, but it paid the price that I was sentenced to pay. And I am free. I am free indeed. I pray you are too. Let's pray. Father, you are a mysterious God. All other so-called gods demand service and sacrifice 
but you serve us and sacrifice yourself for us in love. I don't understand it. I can't fully explain it, but I do accept it. And I praise your name forever because of your great love and grace and mercy shown upon me and for my friends and on my relatives who have accepted Christ. Thank you for that. We honor you and praise your name in Jesus' name. Amen.